So the scripture we're going to be looking at today is out of John 10. And twice in John 10, there are a couple verses apart, Jesus makes these two I am statements. The first one is, I am the door. And the second, quickly after that, is, I am the good shepherd. And we're going to be able to see how these two go hand in hand. So follow along as I read, where we learn about Jesus being the door. John 10, 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, that they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I come that they may have life and have life abundantly. So what is this door that Jesus is talking about? There's actually two meanings here. One is an actual physical door. It's something that blocks you from getting in. How many of you are grateful that you have a front door on your house that blocks people from just walking right in? I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful that I have a bathroom door that blocks all of my, well, all of the older children from walking right in because sometimes the little kids don't care that there's a door there and they just decide to come on in, right? That's what kids do. But there's a door. There's a physical door that Jesus is talking about here. And what that looks like is, this is where it ties into being a shepherd. Back when someone was watching sheep, there would be a pen that they would keep the sheep in, and there was only one place for the sheep to go in and out. And at night, they would bring all the sheep in, and then they would sit, the shepherd would sit in that doorway as the door, as the protector, where people couldn't come in and out, the sheep couldn't come in and out, and other animals couldn't come in and out. So they acted as that door. So they were a protection. They were in the way from things coming in or out. So that's the first part of it. And what we're going to see is there's thieves and robbers who like to come in and they go over the fence. They don't come through the door. And as I read this, I was thinking, yeah, there's all those people who are trying to get in the way from the right way of coming in and out. And then I stumbled across this verse. It was a cross-reference, and I thought, uh-oh. Maybe the thieves and robbers are not who we think they are. So let's look at Matthew 23. This is verses 2 through 7. It says here, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so they do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. Is there anybody that's like this? Someone who says, do what I'm telling you to do, not what I'm doing. Uh-oh, that sounds a little like my parenting at times, where 
I really want you to do it this way, and I may not do it the way that I'm supposed to be telling you to do it, and I may not be nice, I may be a little too rude, but you still need to do it anyways, right? So it keeps going. It says, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. How many times in my self-righteousness have I said, you need to act this way? to someone else, and I put this heavy burden on them. And worse yet, how many times have I done that to myself? I say, Joel, you need to get this right. Now, doing things right isn't bad, but when it's this heavy burden that I'm putting that's not filled with God's grace, I'm just weighing myself down. I began to realize as I was studying as, oh my gosh, I'm the thief and the robber that's rejecting what Jesus wants. I'm coming in and trying to get things a different way, trying to do it on my own strength. I don't want to do it on my own strength. Continuing on, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. How many times have I done something so that other people will see me? I may want to go clean the church, but I'm going to let other people know that I'm cleaning the church, right? Because if other people know, then they'll think better about me. Oh no, he's continuing to talk about me. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Phylacteries, I love the symbolism of what this is. Phylacteries is a box that you either wear on your head and you wrap it around. Jewish um, people will do that. Or they take it and it's a long thing that they wear around their arm. And the idea behind it is it's a constant reminder that God is with them. So as they're praying, they have this box here. It's just that reminder of why they're praying and why they're doing the things that they do. And like any symbol, symbols can be amazingly powerful tools. Or they can become the thing that is important rather than God. So they make their phylacteries big. Look at me, I'm praying and I'm fasting. I'm doing all the right things. Hmm, but is it about what I'm doing for God? Or is it about what God has done for me? Have I gotten the order mixed up? Yeah, what I learned is that I was one of the thieves and robbers. I was trying to get that grace that God wanted to give me freely. And I was trying to climb in another way. Rather than going through Jesus and saying, Jesus, I accept what you did for me, I find these ways for myself to try to earn those. Or I think, maybe I don't think that I'm worthy of it. I think, God, if you really knew who I was, if you really knew the things that I was capable of, you wouldn't accept me. So I think we can find ourselves in both of those camps. Who's who's had a rough spiritual season this year? I'm not alone. There's been times this year that I have felt so far from God Sometimes on my own doing, or I'm just pushing him away because it's too hard and life just doesn't make sense. And it's like, ah. And sometimes it's just because I just get in a rut and I just start doing things. My to-do list is long. And I just get going with life and I don't stop and slow down and go, Jesus, what you did for me was enough. Let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians helps us with this, 2 verses 8. Some of you may know this verse. For grace you have been saved through faith. Grace. It's not of your own doing. 
Joel, this is not something that you can do. You can't get more grace by trying harder. It's simply a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. See, there's other times, like I mentioned, where spiritually I'm doing well. There's sometimes this year that I have felt closer to God than I ever have before. I've changed one of the patterns in my life. I used to listen to like sports radio and news commentaries and stuff as I'm driving around the city. And there has been a, a huge shift in me to know that I can't continue just to put that stuff in. And don't hear judgment. This is just what I'm working through. Where I've had to have worship music on more than the other things. I need to be bringing myself closer to God because that's one of the few times that I can connect with him. And I just surrender to him and I need to be hearing those things on repeat. But again, it's not something that I'm doing. That's not what's getting me this grace. That's not what's getting me through that door. Are you robbing God and others? Are you being a thief in not accepting what Jesus has done for you? That's my challenge to us today. There's some other scriptures that we need to look at for the second part of how this is a door. Jesus says, I'm the door. There's a spiritual component here too. And I miss out on what Jesus was saying here. And I know that it's not politically correct and I'm okay with that. Because there's a series of scriptures here. I've listed them on your notes. And I'm going to read a few of them. But it's abundantly clear that there is only one way to be with God in heaven forever. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's that door. If you haven't believed in Jesus, that he's paid the penalty for you, that he's the reason why we get to commune with God, then please consider that decision. It's the most important decision of your life. Ephesians 2, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access, think doorway. Jesus is that door. John 3.16, shared and read it during worship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And again in verse 36, later on in that chapter, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. There's a reality too, the fact that Jesus is the door. While he's there for protection, like we talked about in the door, he's also that door towards salvation. He's also the reason that we get to be with God forever. We don't want to forget that. And all of those verses, like I said, you can look them up. Scripture is abundantly clear in that. And I won't apologize for it. The second part of this first section within John 10 that I want us to really hear is that part where he's talking about how sheep hear God's voice. And that's in your notes if you're taking notes on the app. It's that God wants us to listen to him. Seems really simple, right? God wants us to listen to him. See, I have a very strong plan for what I want to have happen in my life. I don't know about you, but I know what's going to happen tomorrow, 
and I know it's going to happen Tuesday, and I know it's going to happen Wednesday, and like, I've got a pretty good plan set up. And Proverbs warns us of that. It says in Proverbs 19, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And if I don't stop and quiet and listen to what God's plans are, then man, I may be running the wrong direction. I may feel like I'm going the right way. Yeah, that seems like a good thing to do. How many times have I run the wrong direction, doing good things the whole way, and God kind of stops and goes, you want to come over here with me for a little while? Like, we, we got something to do over here today. Like, but I haven't stopped to listen to him, right? Like, God wants us to listen to him. And here's the reason why. Because we can have relationship with God. Here's the good news. Jesus came because he wants us to have relationship with him. One of the core verses that I feel like pops up studying as I hear Scott and Brian and all the other teachers here is this verse that we have in John 15. And it's John 15, 5, and the idea is that God is the vine and we are the branches. It continues on to say that apart from that, apart from being connected to God, we can do nothing. How foolish am I to wake up any day and think, ah, I got this. Instead of stopping and realizing, like, I can do nothing apart from God. So God, let me start there today. What do you have for us today? What's the relationship look like? If I just made my plans and didn't include Alicia, my wife, how chaotic would our lives be? You guys know our family. Like, if I had a thing, like, oh, this is what we're going to do this week. And, like, I didn't tell her, and she woke up and was like, oh, this is what we're going to do this week. And we tried to function in our life that way, it would be chaotic. So God invites us in. He says, no, like, I've got a plan. Like, let's get together and have a family meeting, and, like, let's see what we can do together. Because I know for me, if I'm connected to what God has for me, I'm going to be way better. John 15, that was verse 5. In verse 15, I love it. This, to me, is the heart of God the Father that sometimes is so hard for me to accept. He says, I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus. Because a servant doesn't know what the master's business is. But instead, I call you friends. Breathe that in for a second. How does that land that Jesus says, I want you to be my friend? Not just like distant grandparent who lives in another state, who occasionally sends you a birthday card and you know is like, oh yeah, I care for you. Like, no, like Jesus is like, I want you to know my plans. Like, I want to be in this with you. I want to be your friend. Hopefully that lands well. If you're rejecting that, please look into it. Because that's what God wants from us. He wants us to have that relationship. The other reason we want to listen to him is because when we listen to him, we can have rest. How many of you are tired? I am so tired of 2020. I'm sick of it. I bought a shirt on Amazon. And it says, I think I talked about it last time. Now I bought the shirt. It's 2020. It's got one star. It says, would not suggest. Like, I'm over it. But do you know why I'm over it? It's because I'm not often connecting to God. Those moments where I just have nothing left to give. I think we can all relate to that. It's like even this week, like mandates, like 
We all have decisions to make. Are we going to meet with family? And some of us are choosing not to, and some of us may choose to, and that's between you and the Lord. Like, the bigger point is, like, I'm just tired. And when I don't connect with God, when I don't stop and say, God, like, I want to listen to you, I can't have that. Where do we see this? This is where it kind of ties both of these together. Psalm 23, pretty famous portion of Scripture. But it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's that provision piece when we stop and we listen, like, God, you're going to provide for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. It's my favorite part because I long for this. I mentioned that earlier, like, what is your soul longing for? He restores my soul. How many of you need some restoration to your soul today? I know I do. Close your eyes for a minute and picture this pasture. Jesus is leading you out towards this pasture. And there's a river that's coming. And he just wants to sit with you and be with you and hear you and know your struggles and know your worries and say, I love you. I want to be with you. And he wants to restore your soul today. Joel, how foolish are you to think that you can get through this life without that? Like, I need to sit down with God every morning. Not out of obligation, out of friendship, out of care. How amazing is it when you get to sit with someone that you care about so much? Just be in their presence and be seen and known. We have that option every day. During this season that's coming, that's what's in front of us. We have that ability to tap into Jesus and say, please restore my soul. And here's where it's even more scandalous. Right at the end, he says, I have come. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But why did Jesus come? To give us a life, an abundant life, and to have it to the full. We can have abundant life. How many of you reject that thought? I do a lot. It sounds almost too good to be true. It sounds like selfish to me. It sounds like I need to suffer for Jesus, right? That's what I think. And sometimes there is that. I don't want to downplay that. But sometimes I don't step into the fullness of God saying, I want you to live an abundant life. Because if I'm connected to God, I can be that fresh water that comes to other people who need it. Where do we see this? We see this in Isaiah. I love this verse. Isaiah 58, 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Does anyone think of a place that feels pretty scorched right now? Like the dumpster fire that is 2020? Like, we're in a scorched place. Imagine how we feel where we get to come and we get to connect with Jesus. Now take that piece away. Some of the people that are in our lives that don't even have that peace, how scorched do they feel today? How much joy and thanksgiving is bubbling up inside of them? I think they can try. 
They can put on Christmas music. They can put on, decorate their house. They can do a lot of this stuff. Here's the glory part. It says, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Church, we have the opportunity to be a spring that does not fail for people in our world this season. People are so desperate for it. We need connection. We need community. Everything's getting taken away, right? When we connect to the heart of God, we can bring that, we can be that spring for them. That cup of water to someone that's just so thirsty. We also see it in Psalm. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. His life is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and the leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. How many of you ever traveled somewhere outside of Colorado by airplane? I've had to travel a little bit for work recently, and one of the trips I flew into Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, that whole area is so covered in trees. There is so much water and so much rain that there's trees everywhere. One of the things that always shocks me, and especially people who have never been to Colorado, is there are so few trees here. The trees that are here were either planted by someone in neighborhoods, you can see where the neighborhoods is you're flying in, or if you see a creek, you can tell exactly where the creek is because there's, there's these giant trees all along the creek bed, right? Because there's that life source, that water that's there. And we drive down our highway exits and you can see everything to the right and left. You drive through Atlanta and like, you're driving along, there's trees, 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 and then right behind that, there's these giant shopping malls. You can't even tell they're there. It's just like, it's so shocking to me to realize like how important that water is. Here we don't have it, so the only place you get those trees is we either plant them and water them, or like I said, they're near that water source. Let's remember that. We need to be near that water source. So again, my encouragement is to slow down for a second. What is it that your heart wants today? What is your heart longing for in this next season? Are you hopeful for Christmas is going to feel better? That's good, and I want you to pay attention to that. It's not that I don't want us to have joy, but I don't want to mistake putting our joy in Christmas decorations or Christmas lights or a Thanksgiving meal. Because while that is good, I think that it's temporary. I think that we're missing the deeper reality of what our soul's longing for. Where it's like, man, I want to be restored. And I want to be part of the process to bring restoration to other people. I want other people to know you, Jesus, and to know the peace that you can bring. And that's the second part of what he wants to talk about today is that he's the good shepherd. Continuing on, John 10, now we're in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This so goes with 
what, what the worship team brought today and this reality of Jesus laying himself down. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and he scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Now, when Jesus is telling you the reason that the Father loves you, that the Father loves him, I think it's worth pausing and going, I'm going to listen to this next part. Here's why the Father loved Jesus. It's because he lays down his life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again this charge I have received from my Father. Jesus knew what he was getting into. He walked straight into it. He knew exactly what God the Father was asking him to do. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a shock. He knew what it was. And the reason that God loved him is because he willingly laid his life down. And I think you see this in the Passion of the Christ movie. I think they did a good job of that. Because Jesus didn't fight it. When it came time, to put out his hand, he didn't pull it away. But he put it out knowing what they were going to do. He said, I choose this because this means that I'm choosing you. He chose every one of us. He willingly gave his life for us. And that was hard for me to believe for a long time, and it still is some days. But you see, that's the role of a shepherd A shepherd was a very prestigious line of work, right? Shepherd was not something that most little boys grew up and thought, man, I really want to be a shepherd someday. I'm going to work my way up. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to learn so that I can become a shepherd. Now, you see, it was a really lowly job. I don't know if you know the story, but at one point, Samuel is told by God to go and look for the future king of Israel. So he goes to this family and he starts at the top. He says, give me the biggest, strongest, burliest firstborn. That's who it usually is. They bring him before Samuel, and he goes, nope, not him. So they go to the next one. Well, it must be the next one, right? Like, where's the other big, strong ones? And they get to the end, and they're like, that's all we got. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And like, well, there is the one, like, ruddy kid who's, like, out in the fields watching the sheep. You don't think it's him, do you? And he was like, bring him. Let's see. So they go and get David. 
who had the worst of all the jobs of all the brothers. Like he was the one that was like out in the cold dealing with all the sheep and all the, the sheep do. You know what I'm saying? Like that was his job. And yet God saw him and he knew that he was a man after his own heart. You see, David's job was to protect the sheep. He would, like I said, sit in that doorway when the wolves would come, when the bears would come, when the lion came. It was David's job to protect those who were weak and vulnerable, to fight for them. Because there's an element of protection. There's an element of guidance. If you've ever watched videos on sheep, it's hilarious. They're the dumbest animals in the world, especially the little ones. Like they're crazy and they're bouncing around and flopping around and like they'll fall over and like, rah, like they're, they're dumb. They need help. They need guidance. They're me. They're me. I do such dumb things. I think I know what I'm doing. And it's like, I run over this way. And like, the shepherd's like, that really? Like, that's not the way you want to go. But thankfully, we have a shepherd in Jesus who walks over and grabs me, even as big as I am, throws me over his shoulders. And he says, son, back this way. He's called us all by name. That's what this says. By name. You. He chose you. Guidance, care, love, companionship. These are the things of the shepherd. Well, the shepherd also did this. The shepherd gave up his life. We see it in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus knew what he was doing. This was a rescue mission. He knew that even though we and I run so fast from him at times, push him away, like, ah, stay away, he knew how much I needed him. 1 John 3.16, this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Who needs you to lay down your life for them today and this next season? Who is so scorched by life right now? They have no hope. They've lost hope. There are so many people tragically killing themselves during this year. They don't have hope. We have hope. Because in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those of you maybe watching or those of you in this room, if you were thinking to yourself, if only God knew what I was really capable of, he would never love me. Other people would never be able to accept the things that I've done. Know that Jesus knew exactly, not only what you did in the past, but what you're going to do in the future to let him down again. And he says, I'll do it again. I will willingly come and I will lay down my life for you because you need it that bad. Mark calls it a ransom. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man not came, did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life up as a ransom for many were kidnapped by darkness. Think of a ransom note. 
Ransom note lists the, the things like when you get taken. Like these are the things that need to happen for you to get the person back. There's a ransom that has been set. And John Piper, writing about that verse, said this. He says, ransom is a great translation. The Greek word here, lutron, meant just that. A payment to release someone from, the some, from some kind of bondage. Think prisoners of war or slavery or debt. So the implication is that Jesus sees his death as a ransom to release many from bondage. He's paying what they cannot pay themselves so that they can go free. It's not something that you can do to earn this. You can't earn your way back to Jesus. And Jesus was aware of that. The ransom was too great. The ransom on our hearts was death. For the wages of sin is death is what Roman says, wages of sin. The wage that I get because of what I've sinned, what I earn because of my sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How many people need to hear that story this season who need that hope? Piper finishes, he says he's substituting himself for them and at the cost of his life they get freedom. So let's slow down again. What do you need today, church? What is so deep and longing inside of you? Do you need joy? Do you need to be restored? Do you need to be brought back to God? Some of you may need life, abundant life, to live with reckless abandon again, filled with God's presence. Are you willing to be shepherded? My pride and my arrogance at times doesn't want to be shepherded. I have views, some religious, that keep me from doing what God wants, sometimes political, sometimes patriotic, that will keep me from loving other people, that will keep me judging them and keep them away rather than like Jesus opening my arms and saying, God, whoever you bring my way, let me be loved to them. Let's not let our political views, let's not let our religious views keep us from other people that need Jesus' love. Because he's our protection and our path. He's our door. I am the door. God is that protection that we need. He's also the path to life with him. And he's our provision and our care. He is our good shepherd. He takes care of us. He provides for us. Keeps us out of harm's way. Encourages us in the right way. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that it does fill us with hope. That we will not just forget about our neighbors that need your love. Our coworkers the people at the grocery store, when we look into their eyes and we see such hopelessness, that we'll be willing to say something, to do something, to act upon this, that we'll be willing to in some way lay down our life for them as you've laid down your life for us. 
Help us to walk in your goodness this season, the good hope, to remember as we sing Christmas carols that it's not about the carol, but the words underneath them. And as I get to sing my favorite carol that talks about falling on my knees and hear the angels worship, that it's a reminder of someday what I'll be able to do when I get to be in your presence, Lord. That I'll get to fall on my knees and thank you for all that you've done for me. And my prayer is that I'll be linked arms with so many people who will be able to do the same. And that many of them may not know you right now, but hopefully will within this next month. Give us the courage, the boldness, the strength to be able to be that spring of water, that cup of water in this scorched land. Grateful for you that you came, that you were our ransom, that you were our rescue story. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go this week, church, connect with God. Slow down. Figure out what's going inside of your heart. What is happening? What do you need? What is your soul desperate for? And pay attention to that. We have so many longings for community and other things that are coming. And for me, too often, I just don't pay attention to it. Muscle my way through, right? No, connect to God this week in those areas. Say, Jesus, I need you. So may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you rest and peace. Be blessed, church. Thank you for being a great community. Continue to take care of each other through home groups, through other means. We need each other desperately. Have a great week.